Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter. I'm here with my lovely co-host and wife, Paige Easter. Today, we are talking about, what are we talking about, Paige? Money mindset. Money mindset. Really important, I think, for people wanting to experience freedom in their world. Money is such an important part of the way that our world operates. It is such an important part of the way that business operates. It's really like a necessary component. It's not sufficient. Money can't buy you love, but (laughs) without money, Daniel Tosh's joke, money can't buy you love, but... It buys a wave runner. So <laughs> ever seen somebody <laughs> frown on a wave runner? Try to frown on a wave runner. You can't do it. Um, anyway, so the the idea being that money is necessary to do so many things in our world that to be without money really prevents freedom, whereas having money isn't necessarily enough to buy you freedom. Um, it's just table stakes for having a lot of kinds mm-hmm. of freedom. So if we want to have possibility, we want to have money. I guess I just get curious about when we're saying the phrase money mindset, what is it that we're talking about? How would we define that term? Yeah, great question. Um, So money mindset is the way that you think about money such that you build a relationship with money that is constructive and resourceful. Uh, Whatever your money mindset is, is going to determine your relationship with money in your world. If money is hard, money doesn't grow on trees, money is um, the root of all evil, then we're going to be in a situation where that's our relationship. Imagine that was how I described you. Like my wife, Paige, she's hard. She's challenging. She's difficult. She's the root of all evil. Like what kind of relationship would we have in the world if that was how I talked about? Not probably a very resourceful one. Yeah. So I guess one way that I'm thinking about it is that the underlying stories and what our structural beliefs are about money and that those are running in the background And that is having an impact on how resistant or willing we feel to interact with money, make more of it, how we spend it. And so one way to look at this conversation is how to extract what are the unconscious beliefs and like make them explicit that are running in the background to see like, how is it that you're thinking about money based on, you know, the way that you grew up and witnessed other people talking about money and the social cultural stories that are told about money and kind of the beliefs and like how we talk about it politically, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of pulling all of those things out, extracting them, looking at what is going on underneath the surface as a way to create a more resourceful relationship and kind of how money can contribute to our sense of freedom and ability to do what we want in the world. 
Yeah, it's to cultivate thoughts, I think, that are resourceful for us. When we're doing this money mindset work, it's only useful to discover how we have been thinking about money, I think, insofar as it helps us to recognize that the money situation that we have in our life right now is a direct result of the creations that we've been doing with our thoughts and thinking and the way that we've been navigating money in the world so that we can create more resourceful ways. The way we can design a relationship with money that we want and then move toward that because this isn't going to be a light switch. At least I don't believe it's a light switch. Maybe somebody can challenge me if you have other thoughts. But um, I think it's just like any other thought work that we're going to be cultivating ways of thinking in our life that will help us to become more and more resourceful. So one way I'm hearing that what you're saying right now is it could be potentially beneficial to extract the beliefs that you're holding about money as a way to just kind of see what's going on. And equally or possibly even more important, making intentional beliefs about money to that you kind of see like you would have to look at it yourself and kind of see if I believed this about money how would that impact my reality and so instead of kind of the default beliefs and conditioning that's been installed up to this point being intentional about kind of how you think about money and how that just believing the kind of beliefs that will get you the kind of results that you want in the world as it relates to money. Exactly. Yeah. Just like with any other thought work, like our relationship with anything in our life from work to friends to romance, whatever, how we're thinking about it is how we're acting around it. And then that's creating the results. We're already doing this. This is already the process by which we quote unquote manifest whatever exists in our reality is by the way that we're thinking about it, by the way that we're aligning our actions with it. And so um, since money is such a big one, it's, it's useful to just separate it out and talk about money mindset. By itself. So how do you see this come up with people, your clients, people in the world? What are your cues to you that money mindset might be keeping people back from freedom? Great question. Yeah. So <clears throat> I work with business owners. And so for me, where I see it a lot in my clients is if we're having some sort of resistance to sales, we're having any kind of stress about money is happening, or if we're having an experience where there is like some story about money, like anytime somebody says money is, and then it's followed by something afterwards, that's going to illustrate our, our money mindset. And so if I'm hearing something that sounds unresourceful, like money's really challenging, or there's never enough money or, you know, something like that, that's going to give me a, a clue. But also generally speaking, if people are having a relationship with money where it doesn't seem to feel pleasurable for them to think about money, or they're telling some mm -hmm. story about money where when they tell it, they drop into a less resourceful state. That's what I'm going to be clued into about money. Mm -hmm. For me in my world, it comes up around sales because we're, we're talking about business or like how much it costs to, to buy things or, um, you know, some story about the quantities of money. That's where I'm on the lookout for it. I also get really curious about people's relationship to spending or like investing their money and what kinds of things and their willingness to invest in things that create generate joy in their life that's something that I tend to look out for and yeah also around sales which I think sometimes that can be like a two-part thing one relationship around money and one relationship around self-belief or belief in one's ability to deliver value so it, it could be like one of those two things I think yeah well and you're bringing up a good point here too which is the relationship between money and value because I think that is the essence of what we're talking about here in in cultivating a useful belief structure around money is what are we believing about what's valuable in the world and how value exchange works? Because all money is, if you think about it, is like an abstracted way of exchanging human value. 
so that we don't have to figure out how to exchange it in some, there are all kinds of things that might be going into an exchange of value other than money, but money just makes things easier. There's this story that money comes from the bartering system and that we like just simplified the bartering system, but that's actually not true. That's not the historical context of money. Money was always created out of debt, usually around standing armies, because they like they, there needed to be ways to exchange value with people that you didn't trust, that you didn't know them. And so like an army would be coming through and it's like, well, your neighbors, if you're, if your neighbor's hungry, you feed them. Cause then later on when you're hungry, they'll feed you. And there's like, it was always like kind of a, a debt based system where we would like be, you know, lending to each other things. Um, money was created as a way to abstract that and, and have like a, a standardized currency. I think it happened in, in China was the first one where there was like a standing army and they, they needed to feed the army. And so they had to have a way with these people, like to, to have people trust these like heavily armed people that were coming through and, and do exchanges of value. Um, all that aside, the thing is like the barter system never actually existed. Like that wasn't how money was ever exchanged. It was like, I'll trade you a cow for a house. But if you think about it, that, that doesn't work. The math doesn't work on that. Cause like how many cows are a house worth? And then like, what if somebody doesn't want to go into the business of keeping cows or what if you don't have enough cows to be worth a house? You know, like that doesn't really, the, the exchange doesn't really work there. So money is an abstracted way of looking at value and exchanging value. I mean, I think that's a really useful thing to keep in mind as we're talking about money is that we're just talking mm -hmm. about value exchange. Yeah. Like yeah. an abstract way of measuring the exchange of value. Yeah, it's like energetic it, exchange. It, it, it yeah. lubricates the yeah the energetic exchange exactly. Yeah. So, what do you think it is about money that it is so complicated for so many people? We're talking about it because we see it all the time. Like, what is it about this thing that makes it so that people's relationship to it kind of block them from some kind of freedom that they want in the world? I think it's useful to understand the context of money because I think it explains why there are challenges kind of baked into the monetary system. So I'm not going to go really deep into the story about money, but understand that money comes from debt. The Federal Reserve, like in our country, at least, we'll, we'll use that as an example, because there are countries where they're not in charge of their currency. But in the United States, we're in charge of our currency. And so what you have is uh, the government goes to the Federal Reserve, which is a private institution and says, hey, we need currency. And so we'll trade you money for bonds. And then those bonds get swapped and then the money gets implanted in the central banks. And then those banks turn around and loan out money. That's how money actually gets into circulation. We have what's called a fractional reserve system. So it means that there's, by definition, there's nine times more debt in existence than there is currency as it's getting created. Okay. And then that, that alone would create a quote unquote scarcity of money. But then it's also loaned out at interest too. So if you think about it, it's like if you're borrowing the first $100 ever in existence and there's like 3% interest on it, where does that $3 come from to pay the interest because there's only a hundred dollars in existence. Well, it comes from other people getting loaned out. And so what you have is this ever expanding um, debt that is the, the basis of our currency. And so the thing that I think is important to understand about this is that it's like a musical chairs game where there's only so much money. That's, this is what happens in a depression it, it, or a recession is when we go, everybody's like going to the bank to try to pull their money out in one way or another. And there's just not enough money there. And so we have an experience where uh, 
the it, it's revealed that it's a musical chairs game and the the music gets ca- called and everything kind of slows down because of that. So the the relationship between debt and currency I think is really useful to understand just in terms of high level philosophy here is that because money is created out of debt I used to be like oh man well that means it's doomed we're doomed because of that but actually we're not necessarily doomed because as long as money stays in flow that's why it's called currency as long as it stays in flow that never happens because it doesn't get money doesn't get used up in the spending of it as we as we kind of exchange money from one person to another it never gets used up and so the more we spend the more value exchange we create and so there's a very real way in which we can lap our debt by currency like lap it like run run past it we can create way more value in currency than the debt is and so mm-hmm. as long as we keep it moving yeah. So what I'm kind of hearing you say right now in the terms that are coming up for me, uh, like abundance versus scarcity mindset. So mm-hmm. in a really real way, and I know we talk about this a lot, like the, uh, the thing that you're afraid of, the more you think about it, the more you actually create it in your reality. Yep. So if if all of that is true, then if I'm believing that there isn't enough money to go around, I would be a more inclined to kind of safeguard what is mine and then in a really real way, create scarcity, not just for myself in my own kind of restrictions in how I spend my money, but also scarcity for other people because I'm taking money that could be flowing and exchanging hands out of currency and yeah, then exactly. we have something like a depression. Exactly. And you, this is, there's a really great example. I love that we lived through this so that we, every, we have a collective experience of this. But this is what happened with toilet paper with COVID. It wasn't, it was never the case that we had a need of, of toilet paper in the world that wasn't being produced. That, like, that never really happened. What happened was people, for whatever reason, picked toilet paper as the thing that they were going to believe was scarce in the world. And so they hoarded it. And so then there wasn't enough toilet paper in circulation, so to speak. So that when you went to the stores, it was empty. And so there was this, like, this really overvaluing of toilet paper that happened because there were people who needed toilet paper and they didn't have it because other people were hoarding it. And so that's the Mm. way that it works. It's like the toilet paper shortage was created from the belief that toilet paper was short. That there wasn't enough to go around. Yeah, that there wasn't enough to go around. So that's the way that this this happens in the economy is the, Mm -hmm. the same thing. Like there's a belief that we're going into a recession, so we better pull all of our cash out and have it in hard assets. And so then that actually creates the recession that happens. Yeah. So it seems like there is kind of a real demonstration here about the the, the concept of trust is coming up for me. Like if I just trust that there Mm -hmm. is enough toilet paper to go around and also campaign for other people to believe the same and promote that actually there's no problem with toilet paper and there's actually not a problem with money in the world, then it's kind of like by nature of that trust or that buying into that belief that I'm then contributing to a reality where there is more money in circulation, more toilet paper in circulation. And then kind of like with my beliefs, I'm almost contributing in a really positive way to the outcome of not just of my own world and my own, because it's really not a very pleasant thought to believe that there isn't enough money to go around. Like for me anyway, that doesn't feel very good. It doesn't create like a joyful experience of my life. But when I believe that there is enough money to go around and just kind of trust that that is true, um, I'm then kind of contributing to a reality that makes it true. So it's kind of like an interesting demonstration of the how trust works or how belief works. 
Yeah, I mean, and trust is a word for it. Faith is a word for it because confidence really just means with faith. And so <clears throat> we're talking about like showing up as though value, right? Now, look, we're, we're this is also a sociological phenomenon because I could go to the store and be like, well, I believe that there's enough toilet paper in the world. But at the end of the day, if there's no toilet paper on the shelves, like I'm in stress. So it's it's like a creative cycle that happens. But here's the thing that I think is really useful and really important to remember is that somebody's got that toilet paper. Okay, that toilet paper, it's not gone. It's just not in the place that we would ordinarily find it. Somebody's got that toilet paper. And if you can convince them somehow to part with the toilet paper, you can have toilet paper too, right? And so that's that's the thing that we're talking about here. Because <clears throat> the production of money isn't going away. The production of toilet paper didn't go away. It's out there somewhere. It's just not where we expect to find it. And so this is like a creative experience. And look, as more and more people come to believe that, this is where we have like a tipping point experience where now all of a sudden toilet paper is back on the shelves. We're not hoarding it anymore. And so that I think is like a really important uh, thing to keep in mind is that th there is going to be a like, quote unquote, raw fact about money that exists out there in the world. But also the there's another way of looking at that raw fact that is, if you can find somebody who is willing to do a value exchange, then you can have money. And if enough people have money and are willing to do value exchanges, now the economy is back on, on track. And so we like, we're like doing our own part. And it's a microcosm that what we have power over is our own situation and what we're able to show up and negotiate for. And then that has like sort of a trickle up effect on the economy, if you will, and what we can create. So the, the, but the distinction between debt and currency, I think is a really useful one to grab, to grab hold of is that currency is an infinite cycle. If we can get money changing hands, then it grows the economy. And then nobody ever knows because it's like the, it's keeping the music going in the musical chairs game. Nobody ever knows that there's not enough chairs as long as we're not trying to sit down in the chairs and keep a chair mm -hmm. to ourselves, right? And keep money to ourselves. Easier said than done, because again, psychologically, that's what we're dealing with here are like uh, fundamental pieces of scarcity and ancestral DNA evolutionary things that say there's not enough. And this is why like foods, you know, our relationship with foods when we're abundant is like it's easier to eat fats and sugars because, well, there was a time when you didn't have access to fats and sugars. And so like our genetic code is like grab those things when you got them. And so we're, we're working in relationship with what we actually have in the world. I think that's useful to, to grasp. Yeah, totally. So some questions that I have um, from this point are kind of around some common beliefs that people are holding that are not resourceful and some like beliefs that are resourceful. And then mm -hmm. from there, I think it'd be really nice to just share like, okay, cool. There's these beliefs. We have these ones that are not resourceful, these ones that are maybe more resourceful. What's the process by which we create a stronger relationship so that we're thinking more resourceful thoughts about money. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And the answer to that is I would say, check out the rest of the thought work that we do either on this podcast, you know, in the resources that we have, go educate yourself about thought work in general, because thought work is a practice and a process. And if you just decide that you're going to change your thoughts and keep doing it, you'll get there. And there are faster ways to do it. I'm a big fan of affirmations. You've heard me talk about them a shit ton. I love the visualization component of affirmations, which is like really imagining a world where this thing was handled and you had a different relationship. How would you be showing up? And then mm -hmm. rehearsal. 
like actually practicing doing that over and over again and behaving as though that were your reality. Um, but as far as the non-resourceful beliefs about money and the resourceful beliefs about money, let's, let's talk about some of them. I mean, I know one of them is like, Capitalism is horrible. It's the worst thing that ever happened to the world. That's I hear that a lot. And that is a variation on the theme that I was raised with, which is money is the root of all evil. It's just mm -hmm. a variation on that theme. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Yeah, I think how I conceptualize people who are wealthy and how I think about them might be creating some resistance for me. For example, if I think that rich people are just selfish and they don't Maybe. care about other people and they're not giving and taking care of people who are more needy, um, then how likely am I to then go and take the kinds of actions to create an abundance for myself if I'm believing that people who are abundant are selfish and evil? Yeah, and, and this is a really useful thing uh, for us to recognize the, these two kind of beliefs together is that if we're having a belief on some level, on some subconscious level even, that money is bad, capitalism is bad, being wealthy people are bad, wrong, whatever, if we're feeling out of alignment with those things, then we're on some level, we're not gonna let ourselves behave in ways that will get us more money into our reality or more value exchange capacity in our reality because we, we would be out of rapport with ourselves. We would like mm -hmm. kind of on some level be loathing ourselves for these things. And I just think it's really useful mm -hmm. for us to recognize that if you're holding that belief, because like most people would say, yeah, I'd love to have more money in my life. But at the same time, many people would have a belief that, that capitalism is bad. Rich people are greedy. You know, m many people who hold those would also say, yeah, God, I'd love to have more money in my life. And they're just like, mm -hmm. those two beliefs are going to stand in opposition. So we're going to, mm -hmm. we're going to have a hard time taking aligned action for ourselves because we, we don't want on some level, we're believing that if we got the thing that we wanted, we would be out of alignment with ourselves. Or out of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that when we're holding to oppositional beliefs, the actions that we'll take are most likely the ones that require the least amount of effort. And so by default, we end up not taking action towards more abundance because back in somewhere in our subconscious or maybe even conscious beliefs, we're believing that if I became that thing, I would be like all of those other people who are also really abundant and are evil. And just to put a put a bow on that. If we have yeah. conflicting beliefs in ourselves, the default will be inaction. Totally. Yeah. So something kind of related to what we're talking about right now is, and I hear this a lot with my clients, is this kind of um, experience of recognition of privilege and this belief that the thing that I do for my work, I can offer it only to people who have resources because I want to receive resources for the what I'm doing in the world. And then this kind of resistance that comes up around other people not having access and this kind of inability yes. to move forward because of a belief that if I charge money for what I do, then somehow that means something about, and maybe you can help me kind of parse this out a little bit, but somehow that means something about my selfishness or that I'm contributing to some kind of evil because there are people out there that could really use my services, but they could only receive them for free because they aren't as privileged as I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm really familiar with this because I come from my background was in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And so like, I, you know, a lot of healers, they have this sort of bleeding heart mentality where it's like, well, I, I can't, I'm like, I'm here to help people. I can't be, I can't be like doing anything for myself, which we, we'll do a different podcast on selfishness and how acting 
in alignment with quote unquote selfishness would actually for most people be acting out of alignment for selfishness. We'll do that in a different podcast. But for now, I think this thing that you're talking about is really important, which is that like, if I love something, then why should I charge? How can I ethically charge people money for it? If I, if people can't afford the thing and they would need it, how can I ethically charge money for it? And it's like, I think that's a way that keeps us trapped because it's like the this the idea of the starving artist. It's like if you actually starve, you can't help anybody. If you're not resourcing yourself and you're not taking care of yourself, most people are familiar with the metaphor, put your mask on first on an airplane and then help people who are dependents. Because if you don't do that, you will die and they will die because they won't have anybody around to help them. And so the, the idea that you're going to somehow be able to help more people by sacrificing yourself, this martyr. We're very fascinated with the martyrdom thing in our current world today. Um, and I, I think that the idea that you're going to be able to help more people somehow by sacrificing yourself, I think is just a fallacy that we're, that's not actually true. If you don't, if you're not filling up your own cup, you don't have any water left over to, to help other people. And I think that the idea here is, and I really think I like this idea for getting over that, which is like, if, if in helping people who can't, who need the help, okay, if that's something that's important to you, well, wouldn't it be nice if you had a really resourceful, successful business so that you could then give, wouldn't it be really useful to all those people who need help, but can't afford it. If you had a business that was abundant enough that you could donate but you can't build the business off donating in the first place. That's a nonprofit. And then we're fundraising. We're going and we're finding somebody who has figured out money and asking them to contribute money to this thing. So we're just, we're just like sidestepping the issue here and not, we still, money is still the thing that makes the world go. Like money is still something that's making the business run. We just are passing by how we get it in our minds somehow. We're, you know, passing on the responsibility to somebody else. And then we're doing, now we're doing fundraising and we're back to the same situation. We got to ask people for money to, to pay for the thing that we want, which is a very viable business model. There's nothing wrong with a nonprofit. It's just the money is still at the essence of a nonprofit. So the advocation is go build wealth for yourself, go build resources. In fact, if you're a good person, you're an ethical person, you consider yourself a good and ethical person, then isn't it your responsibility to make as much money as you can so that you can change the world? Because money is one of the, the means by which we do that. Not to do it because other people aren't going to be hung up on the ethics of it. So, But you'd be doing it in an ethical way, right? So go, go make money and then use it in a way that contributes to a world that you want to live in. Yeah, exactly. And I love using what you just said as a way to kind of advocate for that, you know, if there's this belief that people who have a lot of money are evil, well, envision a world where you had a lot of resources, all the resources you could generate, what kinds of things would you invest your money in? Would you be doing evil things with it? Yeah. Would you be doing things or would you be taking a portion of what you make and donating it or doing pro bono work for people who could really use your services. And I'm, I I just love that idea as like a way to open up more space for becoming something that it's a misconception that you would then go and become evil. And it's also a misconception that people who have a lot of wealth are evil because it is incendiary to see really wealthy people spending their money in a way that is very socially irresponsible or whatever. But we actually don't have access to how those people are spending money. We don't know if portion of what they make every month is going towards causes like we don't actually know and we're not as inclined to see it because I think there is kind of like a social like 
I don't know if trope is the right word, right word, but just kind of around like, oh, Robin Hood and he steals from the rich to give to the poor. And that is like kind of glorified. Um, and then there's these kind of depictions in stories like we just watched Robin Hood and Prince John is like really depicted as just this kind of awful taking all of the money from the poorest of the poor to have a really lavish lifestyle for himself. Just so he can and count his just, money. Just so he can count his money. And um, yeah, I, I just get really curious about, you know, noticing that those perpetuating those kind of ideas can be kind of detrimental to like the fabric of our society. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think um, there's so much more to talk about with this. I think uh, a part two is in in our future for money mindset, because I do want to talk about things like um, like sales, building your relationship with sales and understanding the value of sales, um, understanding your financial blueprint and the thermostat of it. So we'll talk about those things in an upcoming episode. Um, any final thoughts for what we've talked about today? No, I think that this was a really great kind of primer yeah. for money mindset. And yeah, I think we covered a lot of really great ideas here. Yeah. So just a recap, you're not doing anything wrong. If you have a relationship with money, that's not resourceful. It's kind of baked into the system that there can be a scarcity belief. Um, we can inoculate ourselves against that scarcity belief by understanding that money is currency and that the more it flows, the more of it there seems to be in the economy. Understanding your beliefs about the world, they are creating the world that you're living in around money. So the way that you're thinking about money is like letting you see how you're viewing what money does and how other people are. And so take a look at this and start to play with some other ideas of what money might be. If you, um, if you've like said money is the root of all evil, this was some of the work that I, I did because I had that belief for a long time. Money is the root of all evil. Well. I'm going to want to figure out another belief about money. And for me, that belief became money is the capacity for change because I can believe that. You know, even if I still mm -hmm. am believing money is the root of all evil, I can still believe that money is the capacity for change. And then I start to rehearse that. And now I start to see new things in the world, start mm -hmm. to see new possibilities. So um, rehearsing, find a money belief. And if you want to find your money beliefs, here's an exercise you can do. Write down at the top of your paper, money is... And then dot, 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 and then fill out as many things as you can think of for what money is, for how money operates. What are the rules about money? What are the things that you're thinking and you're believing about money? And then just look, just look at what your relationship is. <laughs> Ask yourself, if you were talking about Paige instead of money, would, they, would you have a nice relationship with Paige? Or would you have a relationship that was controversial and problematic <laughs> with Paige if you were talking about her that way? You can pick Paige, you can pick your own partner. <laughs> But thanks for listening, and uh, we'll do a part two on a Money Mindset coming up soon, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.